Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable online Jiri course that includes everything you need to ace your Jiri exam. There's a full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our space repetition algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Amy Seeley from Seeley Test Pros back on the show. And Amy, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who maybe missed your last episode. Sure. I am the president of Seeley Test Pros in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, We work with students locally as well as across the country um, through Zoom. But we are a test prep and tutoring company where we work with students A lot of our students are in the college admission space, so SATs, ACTs, but we do have a lot of students we see who are doing high school admissions testing for tests, Mm -hmm. um, as well as obviously our GRE clients, so grad school admissions tests. Um, I've been in the test prep space for quite a number of years, so I've actually been doing this. This is, I think I'm entering my 29th year of doing test prep. It's all that I do. Um, although actually, it's not all that I do. I, I do co-host a podcast called the Test and the Rest College Admissions Industry Podcast, which is a great place to learn all kinds of things about things, testing, learning, education, um, and then as well as being a founding board member of the National Test Prep Association, where mm-hmm. I get to collaborate um, with other test prep professionals across the U.S. as well as the world. So I um, have a wonderful opportunity to learn from colleagues um, who do the work that I do and love the work that we all do. You know, we do it together. That's great. Yeah, and probably a favorite topic at a your, favorite at the uh, dinners of the National Desperate Association. Well, actually, I could tell you it, it it could be a favorite topic at family dinners. Actually, my two oldest children work for me, so for what it's oh, worth. Okay. I try to plant all place areas of my life with test prep people. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not ever stopping talking about test prep. Yeah. To a fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think this is, this is one of the, the uh, favorite topics of, of test prep people, like you said, is, uh, is plugging in numbers, 100%. right? And, and how to do it, what numbers to use and also when to not do it is probably going to be a fun thing to talk about today. Sure, sure. I still remember, you know, it's funny because I, I did get my start with Princeton Review many, many years ago, and they did they did exceptional training. And I still remember that, you know, I was always really strong in algebra in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And so the concept of picking numbers was not an easy concept for me initially, because my natural instincts mm-hmm. at the time were to always go to those sort of algebraic foundations that I like had learned in high school. And so, but I, but I look back now thinking, oh my goodness, like the idea of learning the strategy of pick a number, as far as test prep goes to me, it is the single most important strategy that any test prep person should be teaching their students. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you're working on a test that is math and you're working on a test that usually is multiple choice, although there are opportunities where you can pick numbers where you might have no answer choices. But the idea is that it's just a very foundational test prep strategy that if someone has done test prep and they don't know what I'm talking about, then I think they've missed a key element to oftentimes improving student scores using the strategy. Right. Yeah. So what makes this strategy so important? So I think that, you know, I think some of the, the sort of background to this is that 
um, with a lot of students, let's say they're they're either not strong algebraically. So that could be a first where you're like, you just, maybe algebra was challenging for you and you have trouble thinking about creating algebraic expressions or assigning variable, a variable or variables to situations. Um, what we do know is obviously the first skills that students learn in school are arithmetic skills, right? The idea of adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. And we also know that, you know, with numbers, we can take a calculator and we can plug those numbers into the calculator and we can get a definitive numeric solution. Mm -hmm. So the idea, I think, for students is sometimes either because they struggle with algebra or let's just say it's been a while since they've mm -hmm. done algebra. The idea of picking numbers is to take something that is essentially algebraic in nature, but to take it back to like, again, those arithmetic skills. So the basic- Just like your, your order of operations. A hundred percent. So, you know, um, now I will say your, your success with pick a number can sometimes be limited by your ability to just simply work with numbers through arithmetic. Um, mm -hmm. And on some tasks, to be fair, if you have access to a calculator, that's going to make you even more effective potentially with pick a number. If you don't get a calculator and your computation skills are not good, then the pick a number may fall apart regardless. But the basic idea, right, is that you have a situation where a question is describing some kind of potentially word problem, story problem scenario where something's mm -hmm. happening. You know, you have so many of something X and something Y or and you are supposed to manipulate or do something to those numbers and you're scratching your head saying, but I don't know what the number is, you know. And if you look down at your answer choices, right, and you see variables in the answer choices, the basic idea is that if we weren't told how many or mm -hmm. how much or what a particular number or value or item was, and we have to do something with it, mm -hmm. and we look at those answer choices and none of them, like, and there are variables in those answer choices, or in other circumstances, maybe there aren't variables, maybe there are percentages, or maybe there are ratios, we would right. say, well, guess what? It doesn't really matter what those, like, it doesn't matter what those numbers are. I can, or those variables are, because I can just assign values to them and just mm -hmm. start to walk through the problem saying, well, what would this number do if it started out of 10? So for example, of saying like, you know, uh, there are Bob and Tom. And if Tom's mm -hmm. age is three times Bob, or if you add Joe to the mix and, and Joe is five years more than Bob, Right. You're getting into these scenarios where like, I don't know how old they are. But if you had just from the start said, well, then let me give Bob an age. And what age does that make the other two guys? Mm -hmm. Now you're in a position when they say, you know, what's Tom's age? You're looking at those answer choices and saying, well, yeah, I see T's or B's or whatever. But I'm just going to, find, you know, I've established a target, whatever, when I put those numbers in. Give me a solution. Say, well, this is how old Tom would be. I can now go to the answer choices, converting them to an actual number and say, is this the number I was supposed to get? So right. you, uh, it'll. I think it's somewhat, by using the strategy, it allows you to progress through the question, thinking more pragmatically, like if this were a real world situation, I can add five to 10 or I can multiply right. 10 by three. And that, I think, feels more comfortable for some students 
because you're following like what it would be if you were staring at three guys and trying to figure out how old they were. Right. Well, I also think that it, I mean, not only does it simplify the math, but I think also particularly because there are some good plug-in numbers that are kind of weird, like, you know, negative one, one, zero, two, and those are easy numbers to do arithmetic with that at a, you can also kind of like start to try to break the rules of the problem a little bit, mm-hmm. like particularly on quant comparison. Like I almost always plug in zero, like right away <laughs> just to see what and breaks. That's, and that's right? what's funny when what you just said, plugging or in or picking numbers can be a great strategy in multiple choice questions, mm-hmm. but it also has a great deal of application in the quantitative comparison section is, we've talked about. Um, yeah. So realizing, and even in, like I said, even in some situations, you will find questions where there are no answers that you're going to have to just bubble in, where you may also be in a situation of, you know, your answer is a ratio of something, mm-hmm. which would have allowed you to just say, look, I'm just going to pick numbers. And whatever that ratio ends up being, it would always reduce to the same ratio. So I could have picked numbers or, you know, found a percentage as a result of just picking my own numbers. Right. And I think that that was like a, a key thing that you said at the beginning that I thought was really important was that if the answer choice has, you know, 4x, 12x, 7x, you know that, well, it's going to reduce to some something x, first of all. And then second off, like you said, you know that whatever number x is, it has to work, right? right. That's kind of how algebra works. Um, and so that gives you a lot of information. Similarly, like if every number is like four root three, six root three, you know, okay, like if I'm staring at an equation that's like, you know, cube root 81 and other stuff, right? Like I know that I need to get everything to a root three, or at least like that's where I need to head. Right. It might sort of drive that. Yeah. Is there a plug in number where I could, that'll just make the math easy. A hundred percent. And that, and that's actually an important point. Um, you know, when you are picking those numbers to start, it does pay to be savvy about what you pick. So like when you're mentioning mm-hmm. this idea of roots, if I know that I have to take like a cube root or something, then I'm going to pick a number that either will, well, we'll just make that math easier, right? Like, and, yeah. and, and I think actually, if you practice that way, you start to even understand in those situations, what are good numbers? You know, like 64 can be a great number in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. what it does in terms of like, like different possibilities or different avenues you can go down um, or even 81 if we're talking, you know, about threes or whatever. So there's just, there's different, you know, um, but again, I will, as I will always say about anything, pick a number is a great strategy, but it does require practice to Mm -hmm. understand sometimes the nuance of it, um, you know, how it could work, um, especially because there can be some situations, right, where we would say, "Uh uh-oh, your pick a number, actually, when you got a numeric solution, there actually is two answer choices that equal your numeric solution, right? So there is the potential Mm -hmm. with pick a number where we say, if you're picking numbers, there are certain numbers that you would try to avoid. So that's another important thing is to say to students, we usually say, actually, in a real easy, straightforward situation, um, don't pick numbers in the problem. Don't pick Mm. numbers in the answer choices. And actually stay away from picking 
zero or one, at least in an initial pick, because those are going to be numbers that actually have a little bit more power to actually um, like it's it's like it's is possible that two answers would give you your same like anticipated answer or target. Um, So there's that element, too. But if you are getting a question that wants to know, you know, what is always true or what must be true, then you've got to remember, like, you have to try out all the answer choices and you might have to pick more than one time, right? Like, it might just be that Mm -hmm. that initial pick may eliminate some of those multiple choice options. So then you do another round of picking if you still have a few remaining that worked. So there's also like the sort of double, triple pick when we may be Mm -hmm. in situations that there could be saying like, what must be true, always true. Yeah. Do you have a process or strategy for sort of what order you're picking numbers in? I know it's going to be pretty situational, but. Um, I don't, I mean, like I, we, as with how we sort of describe doing, you know, picking numbers for quantitative comparison, we would just say, look, start with a number that, that seems easy but again, but mm-hmm. avoiding easy to calculate, easy yeah. to calculate. Like it, it's one of those where if I can avoid having to even use a calculator here, that would be my goal. Right. If I don't have to yeah. use a calculator. Um, and so in that sense, our nice single digit numbers can be good for picks. Um, but again, that's where you get into a situation of like if if they're talking about doubling or tripling, I might avoid a two or a three pick for mm-hmm. something a little different just because I don't want to run into a situation where the double of a two is four, but the squaring of a two is a four. You know, so sometimes you right. there's some things you may discover just could like save you some trouble if you at the outset you avoid picking. Um, but in most situations, you're not picking more than one time if we're talking about a multiple choice question. You know, it's the rare instances of what is always true must be true where I would say, oh, I'm going to knowing I have a good chance of having to pick more than once. Right. Now, I, I feel like also there's probably some specific problem types we could talk about with plugging in numbers. For instance, uh, our Jiri author, he he loves to plug in 100 for percent change problems. 100%. So for dealing, yeah. Yeah. So for dealing with percent change problems, 100 is always, I mean, if you're going on the lower end, 10 is a good number. So if you're just trying to reduce the size of what you're doing, 10 is a good number. But absolutely, right. for percent change, 100 is like the perfect number. So when we work with students, we can have conversations, too, about why are there certain numbers that actually in certain situations are could be better numbers to pick, right? Right. Well, and percent change is a pretty straightforward one. It's you're trying to get a percent. <laughs> so and we know that, yeah, right. It's sort of... It's like, oh, look, Bob is 80% of Tom's height, right? Like, it's really, <laughs> it ends up being simple. Well, what's funny about that is that that's why whenever I teach um, picking numbers, I always want to incorporate some sample problems that are percent change so they get a chance to see how that works. What I love about that, that about percent change problem, though, is that answer choices are going to be usually percentages. They're mm-hmm. not going to meet our typical parameter, which is to say, if we tell students you're usually going to pick numbers if there's a variable in the answer choice, if there's percentages in the answer choices, there's a reasonably good chance that picking numbers is a strategy that is in your very near future. Right. Any other things to look out for with picking numbers? Or we got um, I think I, w- I would say <laughs> this. Um And obviously, this should go without saying with anything we do on a standardized test, but certainly Mm -hmm. in in math um, and certainly here, 
is the idea of just reading very carefully. Mm. Um, one of the things we know that test writers will do is if there's sort of multiple things going on in a problem, especially if there's multiple variables, it's really critical that students are reading that question so carefully and that they have a clear understanding of what have they picked. So they've written it out, not trying to store too much in that working memory, but writing out, you know, what did I pick for A or what I pick for B or what I pick for Bob or Tom's age. Um, but also being clear, what did the question want me to solve for? So it mm. is, you know, one of my favorite problems of all time for picking numbers is one where we normally think that the end result, your target, what you're looking for, if this was a sale and you didn't know the original price, it would be reasonable to think that after the sale, whatever you're going to pay is going to be what your answer is. But there is a problem where it's actually, no, we want to know what was the original price. So if a student were to solve for the wrong thing, i.e. they were to solve for the new or discounted price, that's probably mm -hmm. an answer choice versus, yep. aha, no, 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 they wanted the original price, which in some cases is actually the number you picked to start to launch the problem. So reading carefully can be critical because as we know with any algebra, if you've got multiple variables, you want to make sure that you have solved for the wrong thing because test writers will put the various other misreads of the question as potential wrong answers. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Thanks. Well, this has been Jerry Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Amy Seeley from Seeley Test Pros. Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.